Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Welcome back, everybody. Another episode here of Cheaper Than Therapy. And today we have another coaching session. And today it's with Murphy. And Murphy was awesome. We both really enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> we loved her. <laughs> yeah. And um, she, I think, represents a lot of what so many of us go through, uh, which is this idea of putting ourselves under society, our parents' uh, list of shoulds. Mm. And I think, you know, it's funny, both of us are sort of smiling as we're thinking back on this episode and just how much, you know, we were both maybe a little bit activated in (laughs) talking to Murphy and sort of just reflecting on all of these cultural conditionings that all of us, I think, work so hard to sort of look at, examine, like what is true for me, what is not true for me, right? Mm -hmm. So Murphy was in this space where she's just really thriving, I think, in her career and excited about what she's doing and excited about her life. And yet, right, like there's right. this this cultural belief system about what is completion, right? If mm-hmm. I don't have the relationship, if I don't have this happily ever after, then somehow I am not complete, right? right. So I got to get this going. Right. And, and for her, it was answering to not just society, but, you know, like I said earlier, her parents, right? Mm-hmm. And, and also being able to stand in, like, how do you tell your parents, like, I'm good, back off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think it's, and you can't sort of minimize, like, how difficult that is. Your parents have a lot of dreams for you and fears for you, and all of their conditionings are sort of wrapped up in you right. as well. So sort of a lot of times what they're reacting to does come from a deep space of love of wanting you to be okay with what they understand okay to be, right? Right. My child Mm -hmm. is settled, they're happy, they're okay, but is it true, right? What is the actual truth of what I need to be okay in this life to thrive and really be excited about my life? Right. And can you put down what is it not yours to carry, right? Like if that's your parents, Mm. um, are you able to sort that out and say, you know what, actually, this isn't my should. Yes. Today we have Murphy. I'll kind of give the top line and then I'll let her take it away. It seems like setting boundaries in relationships, right? And uh, your mm-hmm. age, you said you're 33. So it feels like you're, you're feeling your age, if you will. There's a, there's a time that's mm-hmm. all of a sudden become you know, relevant for you. And then whether it's within that or kind of parallel to that, this idea where you want your parents and other family members to be um, kind of accepting of your life choices and values. Does that kind of accurately give a summation? You want to fill us in? Yes. Um, so yeah, I'm 33. I've had a pretty cool career that hasn't left a lot of time for my personal life and dating. Mm-hmm. So I think I got a later start than most people. I didn't have my first relationship until I was in my late 20s. I would say that shame has been a big thing that has come up for me in mm. the past few years. Uh, I'm, I just moved, so I'm, I don't have a therapist now, but I did do about a year and a half 
of regular therapy. And I think that the feelings of shame I have about how my life has turned out, even though I love many aspects of it, mm-hmm. um, contribute to like wanting, wanting to know that like my parents are proud of me and think I'm cool and successful. And then also setting boundaries in relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think because I'm older and I've been hurt a few times in the past year with dating and setting boundaries, I struggle with setting them early on because I want to have fun and I want to be relaxed, but I also don't want to like waste time and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I know that it all stems from shame, but it's hard to actively fix my behaviors mm-hmm. and like needs for reassurance. Mm-hmm. So Murphy, when you say setting boundaries in relationships, how does that yeah. sort of show up? Does it mean like, the relationship is going places that I'm not interested in going? Does it mean that this person's not interested in something like a commitment and I kind of keep it going longer yeah. than I'd like to? More the latter, um, okay. letting things drag on, um, okay. you know, wanting someone who picks up the phone and calls and is like very consistent. But when those things aren't always present, sometimes I stick around just hoping that it will progress to that place. And it usually doesn't. So trying to figure out ways to like be firm in the beginning, but still be relaxed and having fun. Well, I also wonder, you know, when you say be firm. So what I heard you say a minute ago was, and whether, I don't know if you realize that you worded it this way, but you said something along the lines of wanting to fix your desire to have your needs met or to, to say, state mm-hmm. your needs. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. feels like a really powerful because it feels really dangerous statement to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I definitely struggle with doing mm-hmm. for sure. Right. So I guess the reason why I said dangerous is because I wonder why we feel the need to fix our ability or fix our desire to state our needs. Mm-hmm. What about that needs to be fixed, I guess? I might have worded it incorrectly, mm. or maybe that was my subconscious. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I think what I meant to say was fix this need I have for outside reassurance. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. So that I'm not think, seeking so much. Yeah. yeah. I think that's so powerful. And I love that you sort of brought these two topics up as being connected, right? Because Mm -hmm. I do think Mm -hmm. there's a point that a lot of us, and I think especially women can relate to, where Mm -hmm. we sort of start to feel the societal, um, familial um, pressure Mm -hmm. of, I'm at a certain point in my life and this is what my life should look like, right? And absolutely, there is shame connected to that in that I might actually feel really good about what I've accomplished what I love about my life, where I am in my life. But for other people, it's not making a lot of sense. And they're sort of giving me some pushback, right? So yeah, I don't know. I yeah. hear a twinge of that in what Vanessa is asking. Mm-hmm. Like, is this a little bit about like, I need to fix this somehow because other people have an expectation of what my life should be? Yeah. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think when I sent the email to you guys to do that, I had been living in Boston and moved back to Philadelphia. So I was with my parents for two weeks in between um, Mm -hmm. moving into my new place to start this new job. And so I was surrounded by my parents. We were quarantined. It was like Mm -hmm. a lot of exposure to them. Mm -hmm. And so I think I was feeling like kind of like resorting back to how I had felt 
in my younger years wanting their approval, wanting mm-hmm. like feeling like I was a high schooler again living with mm-hmm. them and just was really kind of like stuff that I hadn't really faced was coming up. And mm-hmm. so it, it wasn't even something that I fully realized until I was like, I don't know, multiple days of kind of like seeking out my dad's approval, which isn't, he's a, a quiet, older Irish Catholic guy. He doesn't like talking about his emotions um, and kind of like, why do I have this need? Like, why am I driving myself nuts? Mm. Kind of like. Well, it feels like that was your logical brain asking, why do I have this need? But there's still that side of you that of course desires your dad's approval, right? I mean, first off, I almost want to like just acknowledge the fact that that's super normal, right? And I I don't think that ever Mm -hmm. goes away. I think we could yeah. be 60 and our parents could be 80 and we're still going to in some way seek their approval. And, and I think that first, I also want to commend you too, that you're super aware of it. So even when you were in it, even if it mm-hmm. took a couple of days, you had this moment mm-hmm. where you were like, oh shit, I'm doing this thing. Like I'm seeking this approval. So you've obviously yeah. done a lot of work around recognizing when that behavior crops up. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah for sure. And I feel curious, Murphy, if we were to sort of put the relationship status, like where you are in the world of dating on the shelf for a second, how do you feel about your life? How do you feel about like where your life is, what you've accomplished, what you want for yourself outside of that? Like super great. I was um, a chef in my early twenties and then spent a lot of time and effort going back to school and now I'm an RD working in school nutrition. So my newest job is I'm the director for a district Mm. and um, like I'm making decent money. I like, I'm going to be running. I I feel like so excited about this new beginning, Mm. but I do feel like this awareness that like there's this side of my life that's missing. And there's for women, there's so much attention that goes into Mm -hmm. marriage and babies. And I have a sister who got married this past year and is Mm. having a baby. And so I'm so happy for her but all of these things are happening for me and it feels like it's at like a lower level with Mm. recognition and so that's been tough but like in terms of how like I am so excited about Mm. where I'm at and I'm proud of myself for the work that I've put in to get here as well yeah you know the reason I asked the question and it's funny because Vanessa was actually just posting about this book that Glennon Doyle recently wrote. And okay, I was literally just thinking of Glennon yeah. Doyle when you were saying this. <laughs> it's so alive right now. Um, mm-hmm. I wrote that, uh, excuse me, I read that book a couple weeks ago. I feel like everybody, especially, especially women, women, read that book. But there is a way that we have been programmed mm-hmm. since very young yeah. with systems yeah. in place. I, I hear you saying, yes, like, did you read the book or have you heard about the book Untamed? No, I, I just follow her on Instagram. I okay. Her yeah, so. she's amazing. But um there's a way that we have sort of been programmed by systems with very specific motivations to make mm-hmm. us feel yeah. like we are not full. We are not whole until we have sort of yeah. bought into the system of the picket fence and the baby and the, you know, mm-hmm. the dog, yeah. the 2.2 cars or whatever it is, right? Where, you know, it, it, it sort of becomes our work to go inside and do what you just did a little bit of like, but what is actually true about how I feel about my life, right? Mm-hmm whose definitions are these? Are these my mm-hmm. definitions in terms of what I've decided I want for myself or is someone else doing that? And it is hard work, but she has this line in the book that I 
thought was so powerful that just brought me to tears where she says, and I'm going to mess up the quote, but she says, you know, we become responsible adults a lot of times when we become disobedient daughters. Mm -hmm. Uh And it's sort of like advocating for ourselves is how we show our parents, you've done your job well. You raised me to be the person you wanted me to be. And sometimes it means resistance and sort of pushing back on, you know, their fears for us, right? Because ultimately a lot of times that I want you to be settled. I want you to have the the husband, the the dogs, the Mm -hmm. whatever their dream for us is more about what they're afraid will happen if we don't sort Mm -hmm. of fall into societal standards. How society will view us, right? And judge us. Yeah. Yeah. Versus what is actually the truth of what we want for ourselves, you Mm -hmm. know? Right. And also in saying, hearing her say, you know, Danae say that there, there's a little bit of, and there's a part of us that can still kind of want some of that too, right? And there's something right. wrong with Never that part of us, right? Who, who might want to get married and want to have kids and want that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and so you, it's almost like, how do we balance both of them? How do we stand in this like affirmed feeling that you were very clear about? Like, I'm super happy with where my life is going. Mm-hmm. And also say, and, you know, at some point I do hope that I have a partner and maybe I do eventually see myself with kids or whatever, however you see that part of your life going, right? But to not let that desire um, or eventual desire take away from what you're standing in now, which is just as, if not more amazing, right? Yeah. 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 And I think that that's where I haven't been able to, I haven't been able to find that balance Mm -hmm. and be able to put the desires to fit in and like Mm -hmm. have my family be, you know, just as happy for me as they are for my sister with like, it, it creates, it's created a sense of desperation that I feel mm. like, I think I, I need to figure out tools to have that balance where of course I'm always going to want reassurance, but I can also be standing in my own happiness and joy at the same time. Right. And desperation is a really powerful word, right? I mean, when you say desperation and I think about dating, that almost, I can Mm -hmm. almost feel like a feeling of fear. Like I don't want desperation Mm -hmm. to be running the ship, right? When I'm, when I'm stepping into Mm -hmm. dating. And so in a lot of ways, it makes sense now that you're talking about boundaries and relationships, because if desperation is even there as like an inkling, then I can see how you'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to overlook my gut telling me this or the feeling that I have that this is yeah. because mm-hmm. I want to see if maybe it is. Let me just keep pushing. And, yeah. Right. And yeah. so I can see how those two really strongly intertwine. And it's such a powerful awareness that you have, mm-hmm. Murphy, because the thing about desperation, and I, Vanessa's right, like I love that you use the word because it is the feeling that mm-hmm. I do experience so often around the topic of what you're talking about come up, especially for women. And so I'm really glad you're bringing this topic forward because it does feel like I have to make this happen. And it's like, we're gripping so tight to something and it's energy and that energy repels, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like what we attract versus what we chase. And that thing of like, I am grasping so tightly onto the way that I want to hold this, that I'm almost sort of like negating the thing that I want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. so, So how do I tangibly attack that? Right. I think the answer is like the practice of surrender. Mm, Um, And that's, you know, my perspective on it is, yes, I can want these things if that is the path that, you know, the universe, my life sort of unfolds in that way for me, it may not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what surrender looks like, right? 
It may, yeah. it may not. All of that is with outside of my control. So what can I control? Mm. How I feel about the truth of my life right now, how I make the decision to fall head over heels in love with my life right now. You know, I can hear yeah. the passion in your voice as mm -hmm. you talk about the work that you've put in and where you are right now. Mm -hmm. I say with every cell in your being, own it. Like own mm -hmm. that this is okay. me. This is what I have created and cultivated for myself. I did this, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and this is where okay. I'm living right now. And if someday some person comes and ends up being the icing on this cake, this mm -hmm. delicious cake that I've created, amazing. But you know what? This cake is delicious with or without it. I think that's, for me, the only way surrender works if, is if it's wholehearted. Surrender to what it is. Yeah. And you have to mean it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like lots of times I'm like, I'm going to surrender, but like, I really want, I really would like <laughs> to just like make sure, like, I want this to happen, but I'm going to like surrender, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I love that you yeah. said that. that. True surrender. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, and also too, like I think that um, surrender. So I had a client actually who worked. We worked a lot with this idea of surrender, and for her, because you brought this up, and I think you kind of articulated it perfectly. It was very much like I think her the word she used was sometimes surrender to me feels like being lazy. It feels like I'm not doing anything, mm -hmm. and we yeah. worked around that a lot, right? Um, where it's like, mm -hmm. okay, and you're still going to be dating. And these opportunities are still going to afford themselves to you, right? And so how can you continue to show up and do your work in these relationships? Because that's, that's what they're affording you. You know, you know yeah. that you have to work on listening to your intuition, right? Listening to your gut. That mm -hmm. you have to work on boundaries. There's, we all have our things, right? And that's what relationships, mm -hmm. for better or worse, afford us the opportunity to teach, right? Or to learn, rather, is yeah. whatever yeah. our thing is. So it's going to keep showing up. You're going to be kicking ass and owning this life that you have, mm -hmm. and this other part of you is still going to be present. And so can you look at it as, instead of white-knuckling it, like Danae was saying, if you know this part of yourself is there, can you look at it as an opportunity to keep doing the work rather than something that needs to be fixed right now? Mm, yeah. Right? And so surrender to me doesn't feel like, okay, I'm just going to pretend that dating's not going to happen or I'm going to pretend like I don't care. Yeah. Because you might, and that's okay. What yeah. it means is I'm going to show up every day and learn the lessons and do the work that I need to do, but not be necessarily attached to a specific outcome from that work. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I just, I feel like I want to add one thing to that because I love what you're saying, Vanessa. And I also think like, it's about a little bit of present centered awareness, right? Mm -hmm. So I think so often what happens is say there is like a mixer where it might be an opportunity for me to meet someone, right? And I sort mm -hmm. of go in with the intention of like, I'm going to meet my person at this mixer. And then what ends up happening is I'm actually not present with the people I'm meeting because I'm sort of mm -hmm. like, uh, projecting into the future, like how this person could possibly be my someone. And I'm, you know, and I'm not really yeah. like in the experience of getting to know people in this moment just for the okay. experience of knowing them. So right. it's really about like, can I bring it back to like this person in front of me right now and really being present with what is, I think. Mm. Right. So in the early stages of dating, just say like the first three or four months, when things are still really new and you're getting to know someone like with the practice of surrender, but then also like owning a desire to find someone who communicates well and is consistent and is reliable. How do you kind of balance 
looking out for those qualities or like, you know, the red flags and still kind of surrendering because I think that mm. my MO is to to not to not speak up mm-hmm. super early on. Mm. Um, and then things just kind of, it's, it's almost like it's too late mm. um, at a certain point. I also want to say first that I heard that when you were even speaking it, the way the tone in your voice, <laughs> because here's the thing, wanting somebody who's consistent and who communicates mm-hmm. well and who shows up, those are not crazy wants, right? That's, it's not no. like you're saying, I need somebody who's six foot two and has you know, <laughs> dark hair and they drive a Porsche yeah. and the, you know what I mean? Like there's a difference between yeah. a non-negotiable and a preference, right? And so right, right, right. those things are not crazy. And when you were saying them, it was almost as if you were kind of saying these things and thinking, you're, like, are these crazy to say out loud? There was like mm-hmm. this tone in your voice that I was like, but those yeah. are totally normal to expect and to want. Yeah. And if somebody shows up and can't give those to you, then... See ya. And it's because we've been shamed to accept whatever we are given, right? It's a little bit, it brings us back to that, like, should I want these things? I should, I should be happy with whatever I can get because that is what we have sort of conditioned to believe. And I think it goes back to what Vanessa was asking you in the beginning, where it's like, you know, if I am diminishing this feeling within me, what is the part of me that feels like, I need to do that. Like what would happen Mm -hmm. if I just completely trusted and insist upon, insisted upon how this feels for me. Mm -hmm. So if I am with Mm -hmm. this person and I feel like, you know, they haven't texted me in a couple of days. I feel agitation. I feel, um, uncomfortable. I don't feel safe. I don't feel excited that we're like in a similar rhythm. That is information Mm -hmm. for me that this is not true for me, right? I could force it. I could push it. I could try to make myself fit in the box of this situation with this person. But I think normally when we do that early on, that is the dance we continue to do throughout the course of this relationship, right? Mm -hmm. So can I sort of say to myself in the beginning, like you're saying, actually, this doesn't feel good for me. I don't Mm -hmm. love the way Mm -hmm. I feel when I'm around this person or in this dance with this person. So it's not the person for me. That's my information. Yeah. And then just move on. I know it's not not easier (laughs) said than done, right? I get it. (laughs) But you know, it's tough. And as somebody who I will say myself has fallen into the trap of, I want to be the cool girl. Um, And I've done Mm -hmm. that my whole life and I've worked through it a lot in therapy, learning to, because you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I don't like to speak up and I'd rather just kind of be like, oh, well, maybe it was this, or maybe they were having a bad day. And Mm -hmm. so I'll text them and like, I'll be the one to do the work. Right. And Again, going back to what Danae said, the practice in this, so the idea of boundary setting, I don't think it's so much boundary setting. I actually think Mm -hmm. it's more of a practice of learning to listen to your gut Mm -hmm. and then just Mm -hmm. acting on it. So what Danae said is perfectly like, I don't know, I mean, she articulated it. It's like, in this moment, this doesn't feel right. Period, hard stop. Now you get to decide in that moment, do you take the next step and text that person and say, hey, I haven't heard from you in a few days. That doesn't feel very good. Mm -hmm and call them on it, right? Because there's nothing wrong with that either. Or you get to just say in that moment, "Mm, you know what, this doesn't feel good. I think I'm just going to call a spade a spade and walk away. Mm -hmm. Both of those are acceptable, right? You get to choose in that moment what the next kind of step is on that path. But the bottom line is it starts with initial feeling in the gut of in this moment, this doesn't feel right for me. This isn't my truth. And can that just Mm -hmm. be okay? Mm. Yeah. I feel like that's so much of the work of what we do in therapy is sort of what I feel is what I feel. 
Mm-hmm. I actually don't have to mm-hmm. apologize for anything that I feel. It's, mm-hmm. it's how I feel. Like try not feeling what you feel. It's there. But we yeah. learn to sort of suppress and minimize and push down what I'm feeling. And I think, you know, Vanessa, I feel like we talk about this a lot, like that this, this practice of dating on both sides becomes a little bit like I am getting to know people so that, you know, it feels weird to call it like an audition process, but almost like mm-hmm. I'm getting to know people to see if this is something I'm interested in. And right. I do think, mm-hmm. and I'll dare say, men do that a little bit more than we do as women, right? Like they're out there mm-hmm. testing the waters. Like I do what does this feel better than us? <laughs> yeah. They right. have, I think a little bit more permission societally right. to do 100%. that than we do. Right. So we're sort of like, Oh, does he, is he, is he interested? Is mm-hmm. he, thank you. Am I going to be chosen? What if I actually have some power to choose here too? What if I get to say, actually, this doesn't feel great for me. I'm mm-hmm. really actually not into the way I feel in this person's energy. So maybe it's not a good mm-hmm. fit for me and Very I don't have to diminish that. Yeah. Right. Right. It's almost like, and, and you know, you, you've probably heard this term, I'm sure, because you're kind of in more, not necessarily a corporate world, but just in the world of working in general. You know, I've, <laughs> I've heard people say a million times, like when you're interviewing, because I used to be in corporate too, mm-hmm. when you're interviewing for a job, you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you know yeah. that, right? Like if you showed up for a job interview, like of course you're going to put your best foot forward and you're going to do your best to impress mm-hmm. them. And we all want to be accepted. Even if we don't want the job, we still want them to offer it to us so that we can, put, we can yeah. turn it down, right? But the bottom line yeah. is you're interviewing them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I think that you are actually further along than you realize you are. I think that the practice for you right now is going to be more of a honing of intuition and gut Mm -hmm. and then listening to it and standing in it. Yeah. Ownership. Right. Ownership. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I get to actually own my life because it's mine. Unapologetic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to write that down. Unapologetic. Tattoo that shit on your arm. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have people getting tattoos. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because it does, it seems like with both of those things, like with my life in general and wanting, you know, attention or like reassurance about it, it's like stepping aside and saying, you know, how do I feel about what I've created? And then with dating too, it's also like the same exact thing, just in a different situation, stepping aside and saying, well, how do I feel mm-hmm. truly about this energy? So it's a lifelong process, Murphy. Oh gosh. Yeah. And, and intuition gets louder yeah. and louder. Every time you do this and you do this practice and you listen mm-hmm. and then yeah. you act on it, it gets stronger and louder. Mm. And I do think it gets easier the more that Mm -hmm, we practice mm -hmm. it, you know, the more that we sort of Mm -hmm. unapologetically um, insist upon ourselves, then that becomes just sort of more often my first response, you know, Mm -hmm. that this is just how I feel. This is just who I am, not apologizing for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for bringing this topic up because I think it is so alive and, Mm -hmm. you know, a real conversation that uh mm-hmm. needs to be had <laughs> so many of us struggle with and yeah yeah just that like yeah. stepping into our skin fully especially again you know I as much as I almost hesitate sometimes to make it a male female thing like I do think this is something that is conditioned um within us mm-hmm. as women and as little girls mm-hmm. very early on yeah. and um there's yeah. some reclaiming that needs to be done in these spaces yeah not yeah, to like push somebody else's work, but read that Glennon Doyle book because oh my gosh, it's yeah. a game changer. I will. What's the book called? It's called Untamed. It's 
amazing. Okay. It's funny that you but we went this way because two minutes before I got on this with you guys, I was listening to her um, on Goop uh, and she was talking about the book. And so I was just listening to that podcast like five minutes before we got on to record this. So yeah, like but alive. I really do think that it is a book that every woman should read. You know, I really I think it's like we need to challenge um, these things that we've been taught to believe that really aren't necessarily in our best interest. And they're not ours. Yeah. Mm, yeah. They're not ours to carry, you know? Absolutely. We can give them back to our parents yes. and our grandparents. They're not for us to carry anymore. Yeah, I, I like that. Well, thank you, Murphy. We really appreciate it. This was, this thank was a great- Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Yeah, this is a great topic. And, and um, yeah. you know, you have our email, so keep us posted. Let us know how you're doing. Yeah, I will. Okay. Thank you. I'll be listening. Yeah. So good luck <laughs> awesome. with the podcast. Thank you so much. Bye. Right, take well. care, Murphy. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.